You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 30 of Archaeology in Ale, the free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Archaeology Department. This month, our guest speaker is the University of Sheffield's own teaching fellow, Colin Marini, here to discuss the Roman Fort of Navio. The talks take place at the Red Deer, a popular pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield. It is a busy place, so be advised that there may be some background noise and strong language may be used from time to time. Enjoy. disturbing but thank you very much as you can see I'm well prepared and I arrived in good time and we haven't just dropped the uh, slide changer in the beer but it seems to be working so we're all right um, anyway you may some of you may remember the a bit over a year ago I was here talking about uh, the Hope Valley more generally and a project that has been going on for quite some time um, in the Hope Valley uh, which started started well, there's Castleton so here's Castleton Hope's back over here uh, started about there looking at the medieval hospital. So that was the, the origins of this. It seems a bit odd to start with that when you're going to talk about the Romans. Um, but it started there, and then it sort of grew, and we grew and expanded from Castleton to include Hope, which is the next village over. And we've now expanded our world to over here. So the Roman fort of um, Navio sits just where this valley is coming in at the side, into the Hope Valley here. So this is coming from uh, Bradway and into the White Peak. Uh, <coughs> The Romans have placed their fort just where this valley comes in, and the, the Bradwell Beck there meets the No. It's called Peaks Hole Water here, but in hope it becomes the, the River No. Um, and uh, to command these sort of routeways. Now, where, you're, where this picture is taken from is up on um, Mam Tor, which is the, bron the head of the valley, uh, Bronze Age, uh, end Bronze Age, Iron Age Hill Fort, whatever you want to call it, depending on if you believe, believe Graham Gilbert or not. And then, of course, Peveril Castle sits over here. Um, on the side of Castleton. So there's a, a series of um, uh, sites here which are commanding the valley and commanding this routeway through. And we'll have a look at why this routeway is sort of important uh, in a few minutes. Hopefully you'll all be asleep by then and I can ramble on. I'm not quite sure what's going to come up soon because I did the first part of this talk a few days ago and um, I haven't had a chance to review it, Tony, as you may have noticed. It's a bit last minute. Um, so anyway, let's, if we go down the other end, um, there is the Roman fort of Navio, so I should say if we just go back a moment, there's the cement cement works, so you can orientate us, there's the cement works, so we've gone to the other side and we're looking back, and we're looking back to where that previous photograph was taken, to Mamtor Hill Fort and Pleville Castle is just tucked in the side there. And here is the, uh, the Roman fort sitting on that little sort of plateau, um, which sticks out into the, into the Hope Valley and is just at the side. So off to the left here is where the valley is going up in, through Bradwell uh, into, into, the, into the Peak District. So if you're not sure where I mean, I'm presuming most of you will know where, where I mean, but here's Sheffield, we're here somewhere, uh, Manchester and Stoke and various places. Um, and so we're talking about this bit here, the Hope Valley, which runs through um, from Hathersage, which is the normal place people encounter it at first. Uh, it's, it's a, and the river runs in and joins the Derwent and runs away, and that's quite a significant um, relationship, uh, as we'll perhaps see. So it's just about there, about 18 miles from, uh, from Sheffield. So let's have a look. Right. So before we get to Roman Fort, um, <clears throat> there's a number of debates going on, there's a number of things that you hear about Roman sites in this area. There aren't very many Roman sites in the sort of Sheffield area in this edge of the, uh, the Peak District. Um, but you have to sort of think, one of the debates, which hopefully we'll get rid of very soon, uh, re relies on what the Romans did when they first came here. And I'm sure you're all completely familiar um, with the Romans arriving in Britain. Uh, <clears throat> when they first um, invade, they don't sweep all the way up through to wherever, taking over Wales and all of Scotland or something. They actually 
relatively quickly establish a boundary, which it isn't quite clear where it is, but it's running from the Humber, wherever the Humber is in here, and exactly where it runs to, well, that's debatable. Different people have different views. Some people say it's bounded effectively by the Foss Way, which runs down to Cirencester, so it's between the Humber and the, the Severn. Other people would argue it's across somehow um, towards the Mersey, from the Humber to the Mersey. Um, and it is established like that. The Brigantians to the north, so if the Romans are stopping here somewhere, let's not worry about the western side just at the moment. Then the Brigantes to the north are a, a client kingdom. Uh, from where the Queen Cartimandua, um, there's relatively good relations. It's quite clear if you if you read uh, Colin Hazelgrove's work recently that um, there's very close relationships with the Brigantes and the Romans, and probably the Romans are operating in Brigantian territory relatively uh, freely. Um, there are a number of difficulties. As you know, there's a number of revolts uh, against the Romans and so on. One of those is in in in, Wales, in the Welsh in Wales in the general area there. And the person leading that, Caratacus, uh, escapes the Romans and goes up to the Brigantes to, to seek refuge. And Cartimandua decides that that's not a good move, um, given her political situation. So she hands him over to the, to the Romans. So there's a, there's a clear case that the, under Cartimandua, the Brigantes are uh, working very closely with the Romans. And, and therefore, you wonder what sort of boundary is there, because you'll see argued today, at the moment, that people are arguing this is a hard boundary, that the Romans are going to defend this against an enemy. And I think that's not something that uh, can be sustained as an idea. So the, some people would argue that well, certainly that we can see um, Roman forts established early, um, <coughs> relatively sh shortly after the invasion. Um, running through Doncaster. So the idea is that there's a boundary here running from the, the Humber through Doncaster, across through Templeborough, which is in Rotherham. Um, and then where does it go? Well, Chesterfield is another early fort. Um, so some people would argue it runs off down this way. Other people would like to argue it runs across to Bruff. Um, and then somehow connecting to Melandra near Glossop, Manchester, and then so on. Um, down across towards the Mersey and across towards Chester. And that is being used as an argument at the moment. Um, so if you consider uh, the interpretation of some archaeological sites in Sheffield at the moment, Worlow, for example, this boundary is seen as a critical component of that interpretation. You know, why do you have a signal station at Worlow? It's because this is a Roman border and they're keeping an eye on the enemy. And so they've got to communicate and things like that. Um, uh, well, let's, let's have a look at that whether they're going to be forked along this border. So <clears throat> what happens is that that border remains, as far as we know, relatively stable. You can decide what that border is, whether you see it as very permeable and relatively relaxed or the nice hard border that some people like to see it as. But at the end of the 80, uh, 60s, there is a revolt um, in the Brigantes, uh, and Venutius takes control, Countermandua's husband. She disappears off, um, is rescued by the Romans, goes off uh, into Roman protection, and that precipitates a move north of the Romans. So they move north, and instead of you know, having Hadrian's Wall built in Templeborough, they unfortunately go up, they go right up to the Gask Ridge very quickly, which is up here, and then they come back to the Hadrian's Wall and then Antonine Wall and so on. So it's really unfortunate that all those that Hadrian's Wall and so on really should have been built down through Rotherham. Um, but because of Venutius, uh, annoyingly because of Venutius, they went further north. So, so that's it. And what you see at that point is a number of Roman forts being established because, of course, they're, they're entering territory that they almost certainly know very well, um, but not one that they've controlled. It's been controlled by a, a, a client um, kingdom. So you have this idea that we do we have this border running across here? Because you'll still see people arguing that uh, you have this border coming across to early Fort Doncaster, um, and 50, Templeborough, Chesterfield, yes. But then you start to come across to these forts over here. Why that on this map I've stolen off the internet, Northwich is called North Church, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I couldn't be bothered to change it. Um, uh, and across towards Chester. But the problem there is, um, you know, the date of those forts. Some of them we know very well, some of them we don't know so well, but essentially almost all of those forts are being established in the 70s. So after that border must have disappeared, and that includes Bruff. Um, so, if you look at some of these forts, you've got these early ones here, um, which are being formed 
on that area from the Humber. Um, Doncaster, of course, because it's on that major um, north-south road, uh, and it's already being very quickly being established as a major uh, routeway through. Um, but when you look at the other ones, um, then they're just not early enough. Um, so that the idea that there's a hard border which goes across and includes Bruff and must go through Sheffield just doesn't stand up. If you look at those, if, if there is a hard border there, it's going down to Chesterfield and further south. But almost certainly, and if you look at Colin Hazelgrove's work at Stanick uh, and uh, all the work at Oldborough and so on um, going on recently, it looks very likely that actually that isn't a particularly hard border and the Romans are operating into Brigantian territories uh, quite uh, comfortably most of the time. And there's no, there, there is not an enemy on the other side of it um, for you to protect against. So we can think about that when looking at the interpretations of a number of sites, but but it doesn't really hold up. And, and the further west you go, the less the less well that holds up. So we've got um, uh, a group of early forts. Then we've got this later group in the 70s, which includes Bruff, it includes Melander at Glossop, uh, Manchester, places like Buxton, Little Chester at uh, Derby, and going across towards Northwich uh, and Chester itself. So. Now, if you look at these, in many cases, these the forts are established. Now, we don't, Pentridge, for example, I mean, that's mostly made up. We know very little about Pentridge Roman Fort, which is down halfway sort of towards um, uh, Alfreton direction. Uh, but some of them are quite well understood. And you tend to get forts set up and then they're you know, largely being abandoned as far as military forts go um, in the second century sometime. Temple is a bit odd, it gets a major refurbishment. Bruff is really unusual because it's effectively almost continually occupied, as far as we can see. Um, <clears throat> there is a, a short abandonment, um, but it's, it's, it's mostly continually occupied throughout the Rome period, which is really unusual for a fort. Um, and there is another site which is mis missed off this in a sense, a little Chester, which is just in Derby, at the south end of the Peak District. That is abandoned, but what happens at Little Chester is Deventio, the town that forms around it, actually thrives. And so the town is permanently occupied, even if the fort isn't bothered about being occupied. And Little Chester, um, down at the bottom of the Derwent River, where it's meeting the Trent, um, that may have a part to play in the story of, um, of the Peak District and the Roman occupation in it. It's difficult to say, but it's, there's, a, there's a good case to be made that we need to consider Deventio, um, Derby, uh, along with when we're talking about things like Navio at the same time. They can't be separated out. Um, so Navio's a bit odd. Um, <coughs> so what about that uh, frontier? Well, forget it. It's not part of any sensible story. Um, and if you read anybody interpreting their sites in that way, then um, I think they're stretching the evidence in a particular direction. So anyway, but what is important about here? Well, um, there's a number of, most importantly for the Peak District, of course, it becomes a major lead producing area. We can't say that it's already producing lead earlier, but it could well yes. be um, yet, exactly. Um, but it's a major lead, it's a major lead producing area and is, of course, for a, much, a long time after the Roman period. Um, so there's also other, as a major routeway, you've got um, you know, York up here, you've got the Vale of York and um, the Trent Valley, and over here you've got the plain of uh, the Cheshire Plain, plain of Lancastria, and so on. And you, you want to get between the two of them. So you've got major routeways, and of course there are sources over here, such as salt. Salt production uh, is important in <coughs> in the witches in in um, Cheshire. So you need to get across this boundary. Now, one way of doing that, of course, is to follow the Trent, uh, and the Trent is probably a very important player in the whole of this uh, this story. But <clears throat> you know, how are you going to get the across there? Are you going to be coming across um, so from the area of Chapel on the Frith across towards the Hope Valley? And then are you going to be heading up towards Sheffield, where Sheffield is now, towards Templeborough and into the Don Valley to get across the Trent? Are you going to be heading down towards Chesterfield to hit um, the Idle? Uh, and get across towards the Trent that way? Or are you going to follow the Derwent down and meet the Trent uh, uh, somewhere down there? All of these are, are possible routes. Um, so, <coughs> if you look at that in a bit more detail, um, marked on here, so there's Navio in there, here's Sheffield. Not that Sheffield's very big in the Roman period, but it makes, seems you have to do Chesterfields just in here. Um, and Buxton, hometown Glossop with Melander Roman Fort up there. The river's coming down. Um, Matlock, Worksworth, and Carsington uh, down there, which are important um, in our world as well. So 
if you're moving goods, and I should say the, that while Navio is here, the lead producing area is to the south of it. So you're going to get the lead off the White Peak. Now, there is lead production within a few hundred meters of Navio. That side of the Hope Valley is where the White Peak starts, and there are lead veins and later lead mines and so on. We don't have any evidence of early lead um, working or lead mining from very that far north in the area, that close to Navio, but it could be, could be going on. So Navio is right on the edge. It's on the northern edge of um, the, the lead producing area, if that's what we're most worried about. And we also think, well, how are we going to get other goods across between here? Well, salt is, uh, salt is certainly considering one of those, and this is a major route way for bringing salt later in the medieval period. So you could be coming across, um, uh, I think that's where Snake Pass is now. So you could be coming across um, into effectively the head of the Hope Valley from Chapel on the Frith over here uh, and coming in, and you could be heading up into the Don catchment up here. So, which we're all very familiar with, going up uh, from Hallisage and setting up. You could be coming further down and cutting across to Chester and moving out to where more <coughs> Bawtry is now, the idle catchment, uh, navigable rivers out at Doncaster and out at Bawtry. Um, or you could be following the Derwent down towards Matlock and Worksworth uh, and, and down here and eventually meeting the Trent down there where Little Chester, where Derby is, where Deventio is. Um, there are all sorts of possibilities. And the big argument about Navio is it's being occupied throughout the period. Why would it be occupied? It must somehow be involved in, in, in the, the administration, the processing, the transport, the control of the lead, uh, the lead industry. Because otherwise, why would they um, be in this place uh, throughout the whole of the Roman period? So um, if you look where we find identifiable Derbyshire lead, it comes from uh, bits of the Peak District. There's a big cluster around the Humber, there's some on the south coast and so on. So what seems very obvious here is that it's critical you can get to the Trent and you can take your goods out. This is not just true of the Roman period, it's a very typical route way if you're trying to get lead out in the post-Roman period, you're trying to get other resources out, you get them to the Trent, the Trent is navigable, and you can take them out to the Humber, and then from the Humber of course you can take them up to York, just up here if you need to, or take them out the Humber to the rest of the, the empire. Um, but how do you get them uh, to, uh, <coughs> uh, to um, the, Trent, the Trent? One problem we have is that we, we identify these Roman lead pigs, uh, these Roman lead blocks, uh, ingots, because they're stamped with Lutadorum. Um, this place, we don't know where it is. That's a slight technical problem. Um, <coughs> It's in the Peak District, honest. Uh, so there are a number of um, candidates for this, none of which have managed to be proven. Um, where that big lake is there, that's actually a reservoir, Carsington Water. There was an excavation in advance of that reservoir because Carsington was going to be it. Carsington is where Lutadarum is. There wasn't any really good evidence for it. There is Roman material there and Roman settlement there, but nothing that showed that somebody was gathering lead in, casting it into big blocks, stamping it and taking it away. So there's a current theory. The people of Worksworth believe Worksworth is it. I'm not sure anybody else does, uh, but they do. So the feeling is that it's down here. Um, so and there's a case to be made that if you considering that Lead is being produced here, and one of the easiest ways of getting it out would be to follow that down towards the Trent down there. Then there's a good case to be made that the place that is the centre for gathering the material together, administering that process, whatever that process might be, uh, and, and transporting the goods on, would be down there, and it wouldn't be Navio. Um, so <clears throat> people argue that is it Navio, or at least that uh, Navio is playing a major role in that process. Um, uh, so what do you want to, to sort of to, to, to start to prove that? Well, what we really want is to find Roman lead working, Roman lead processing, and preferably somewhere with a nice big stamp that says Lutadarum on it. Um, but there are a number of candidates and a number of possibilities. Of course, they could all be involved, uh, and perhaps they are, or they could have different roles. Um, uh, so I should say one of the things to recognize about Navio is it's tiny. It's an incredibly squidgy little place. It's only about a hectare depending on which phase you're at, it's less than a hectare. Legionary Fortress will be 20 hectares, so you're only looking at two, 250 soldiers in a place like Navio. It's a tiny little contingent. It's not a major frontier, which is another argument against it being a major military frontier fort, because um, it's so small uh, that, sort of a slightly odd shape, but it's so small that it's difficult to argue that it has a, a military 
campaigning role, but it could take 200, you know, um, uh, 250, that sort of number of people it's estimated. So, um, but it's occupied and it's more, and there are people in there. So, something going on. So, anyway, archaeologically, it's been looked at for an awfully long time, Navio. So, it's not just something we're doing now, um, but it's recognized from the 18th century. There's a quite a good summary of it all in the late 19th century about the earlier antiquarian finds and so on. There are excavations in the early 1900s by John Garstang looking a lot of the early f uh, um, focus as usual with many things is on the defences. Um, in the case of Garstang also the Principia building and uh, finding material there. Probably the, the most thoughtfully early excavations is that by Ian Richmond and John Gillam. In 1938-39, it was going to continue, but it didn't continue because of the war, Second World War, and then they never managed to get the resources to pick it up again after the Second World War. Uh, they were going to, but it didn't happen. Um, this look, uh, um, was in instrumental in finding the fact that there's more than one phase to um, Navio Fort. They're very similar, they're sitting on top of each other, so the phases uh, move around slightly. But there's this earlier phase with this early occupation, then rebuilds, and then there are alterations after that. And, um, Ian Richmond and John Gillam sort of sort out the overall chronology uh, of that and get the dating for that early found for that foundation in the 70s, abandonment in the sort of 120s, and then the uh, later second century reoccupation and changes and alterations. You then get excavations in the 1950s, uh, which look at the southeast defences and um, an entrance which is inserted there, which people have used as an argument to say that at least some of the troops, if not all of them there, are, uh, are mounted the cavalry of some kind um, because of the style of entrance. You'd have to ask a Roman fort person as to why that would be the case, but that's what they say. Um, and then a large campaign, particularly on the interior of the Roman fort by Manchester University, Barry Jones and John Peter Wilde. Um, much more information about the chronology there, but they dug a large part of, uh, looked at various areas, lots of areas within, uh, within the fort. Um, <clears throat> what have we got here? Oh, yes. Um, so uh, then there's other work uh, away from the fort, further out into what you would expect the civilian settlement to be there, um, and particularly as you go down towards where the village is now, where um, the No meets the Bradwell Beck, um, where they identified a bathhouse, uh, and also some other areas down by the road there uh, in advance of construction of some of the houses and various other things that were happening. Um, and the, the landowners there, the Eyre family, um, did discover during some construction work a couple of these things, as you would in your sort of back garden, if you dig a hole to build a, a very large shed. Actually, it's, a, it's their wood yard for the agricultural merchants. But anyway, so they found a, a, a couple of um, altar stones, one of which is in Buxton Museum, one of which lives on the back of the quad bike, as far as I can tell, of Janet Eyre, because she brought it out that way to show everybody. Um, so you have Roman altar and dog sitting in the back of the quad bike. It's the, it's the smaller of the two. Um, so there's clearly Romans happening there, and they're found on the other side of the river. So you come away from the fort, you drop down to the village, you cross the river and go up on the other side, and that's where these uh, altars, and that's the first time you've got certain archaeological evidence of Roman activity on the other side of the river. Um, because when 1970s work is looking at the modern road in the village, it's on the, the fort side of the Bradwell Beck. Um, <clears throat> so you then get survey and excavation by the University of Sheffield. Of course, that must be much better than Manchester's. Um, uh, John Lloyd and John Drinkwater uh, doing that. And they've looked at substantially the Vicus, but by this time Manchester had um, removed most of the interior of the fort. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> and they're very interested in the roads leaving it, how this imp uh, relates to the Vicus, if they can identify uh, the Vicus area. Um, it's very small excavations, uh, but that certainly moved the, the, began to get some understanding of the roads and the, um, of the civilian settlement outside the fort. And then you get some further excavations, including a rescue excavation, which is sort of prompted by further developments um, in the area the altars were there. So um, initially the excavations are over in the, towards the fort uh, by David Kennedy uh, involving the University of Sheffield. And then they get help from Chris Drage uh, from Trenton Peak. Um, so, <clears throat> um, and we'll, we'll come back to that excavation, um, 83, 84, and the, the Chris Drage excavations um, uh, 
in a few minutes when we get back to it. So that's the so here so the Roman forts here. There's the big river coming down. The village is sitting in here with the Bradwell Beck, and so you're seeing the beginnings of um, uh, investigations on the other side of the river. I'm expecting the, uh, the beakers to have gone that far. So. Most of the effort here, you can see that people have been digging all sorts of holes in here. Uh, in 85-86, University of Sheffield are there again. Keith Brannigan and Martin Dern um, uh, excavate, particularly out here in advance of um, tree planting and various things like that, and find something quite different, but we'll come back to that because that has relevance to a current piece of work taking place um, in that area, broadly in that area, so we won't worry too much. But they found, so in the other ones which are looking at the Vicus, they found sort of bits of burning and industrial waste, and you found some structures and pits and so on. Um, Overwhelm, Branding and Dern stuff, so that's down in here. Um, we'll come back to over there in a bit, but they've, they've found some evidence of industrial activity, mostly it was sort of agricultural and horticultural activity uh, down there. But over here, it was odd um, because it was some ditches, um, forming what looked like there might be enclosures. There were trackways. There were one or two structures. There was no evidence of industrial activity at all. Um, they wondered what was going on here um, because it looks like an activity area that's separated from the main civilian settlement. It's sort of separated from the fort, although it's very close. Um, and they couldn't really work out what, it, what was going on. Was it something? They wondered whether it might be something agricultural or to do with uh, animals. Or they thought, is it some group of people um, who would be ostracized and um, would have to operate on the margins of the civilian settlement? And so in time-honored archaeologist fashion, they thought, ah, it must be prostitutes. So, um, <clears throat> but they couldn't make their mind up. It, it could be people with herds of animals. It could be prostitutes. You just can't tell the difference. So, uh, um, <clears throat> but they, it was quite different. There was no evidence of industrial activity. That's our key thing and what we want is industrial activity because we want to get that sort of smoking gun of somebody doing something with lead um, on here to show it's going on so you also have um, in 1988 Derek Riley from Air Photographs identifying an enclosure across the, the river but on the uh, side going towards Hope so Hope Village is up here um, identifying this enclosure on there and that line running through it it's oddly plotted on this map but anyway um, we can see sort of what that is. We'll come back to that moment. That has been interpreted as things like a slave camp, because that makes it sound very grand. Um, it's based on the fact that there just seems to be some lines, some, some possible crop marks, parch marks in that. Um, it hasn't yet been investigated, but we can come back and talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, so, we've got these things happening. Um, <clears throat> so, we come back to uh, <clears throat> what's going on over over here because this matters to us because the actual area we're mostly going to talk about sort of today is the bit in here because that's where we've been excavating over here so there is this excavation here that was where the altar stones were found these are the buildings of the agricultural merchants if you go there today you'll still see these mostly these sheds here there's another there's other buildings put in here now but you can go around behind the sheds and you see it's where they stack all wood and all sorts of uh, bulky materials um, around there so Essentially, um, what they found was several phases of activity. They found a road. So there's a road running in the upper part here. Um, and actually, you can see the road in the field as an agar there. So it looks like it's the road coming down here um, and running up through there that's leaving the fort, the southeast um, <coughs> entrance of the fort. There's some very odd things said about roads there. That's argued to be the road to Chesterfield, the road to Templeborough is supposed to come out this way, down a very steep slope and cross the river somehow. Never quite worked out why that's sensible. Um, and also there seems to be supposedly two roads running this way, probably going to Carsington and Buxton. I don't see why they can't have just one road until they have to split. Uh, but uh, And there's some debate, I find that, that this is apparently supposed to be a really obvious feature, I can't see it, but anyway. Um, uh, but we've certainly got a road running down here, which isn't particularly well shown on that map. Um, but now we can be certain of a road, and it was excavated in, the, in this area up here. So there it is, there it is, dramatic piece of Roman road. Um, the interesting thing here was that the archaeological deposits were deep, and in some cases they were underneath up to a metre of hill wash of colluvium coming down, clay-rich colluvium. But in places they were saying there was up to four metres of archaeological deposits. Not all of that Roman, um, but certainly something has been going on over quite a long period of uh, time here. So the early phase, early to mid-2nd century, you seem to get creation of terraces, um, including the one, the one that this road is sitting on. The other one seems to be an enclosure. So the suspicion is that you've got something that, is it agricultural or horticultural, something on the edge of the, the Vicus? There are apparently similar features at places like Newton Kime, which is 
um, near Tadcaster and also Old Carlisle. So there are other civilian settlements near forts which have features that have been interpreted as perhaps not be, as being perhaps related to forms of agriculture, but just on the edge of the, the civilian settlement. <clears throat> but then um, a little later, you get a road added which is running down towards a series of structures which are built. Um, you get the ditch recut, so there's still a sort of enclosure there. You get yard areas. You get a kiln, which was described as looking like a pot pottery kiln, um, but it has eight kilograms of uh, iron slag in, mixed in with it. So it's not entirely sure, but it looks like a pottery kiln, so that's all right. Um, and that would be useful to us, because we, we would like a pottery <coughs> kiln uh, for a point I'll make at the end. Um, there are also two halves, and from the material from them, they're interpreted as sort of smithing halves. It's not where iron is being produced, um, smelted or anything, but it looks like they may be bringing partially proce processed blooms, then forging them and, and smithing and that sort of thing. So there's a sort of a hint of industrial activity, not not intense industrial activity, but a hint of industrial activity just downslope from this. Um, so this road running off out, and uh, sadly, we haven't managed to find it up there. David's dug some quite dramatic little holes in it, uh, but <clears throat> um, we haven't managed to find it here, but it's definitely running off in that direction. Uh, and so down from it, it looks like, so the interpretation there is, are the roads running in this direction, so therefore it pulls a bit of activity and occupation along with it. They wouldn't be going in this area. The, 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 uh, the Vicus doesn't reach this far, except the fact that it's by the road, so therefore it's encouraging things. So they were, the interpretation is fairly dismissive as to how much of uh, Roman activity you will get in this area um, because they think it's just because it's a little bit going on near, the, near this because this is a main road coming out of the fort and therefore it encourages people to, uh, <coughs> to act in this area. So um, I should say there's lots of other uh, occasional finds and other bits and pieces. This was all brought together by Martin Dern in a BAR in 1993, um, which uh, it's difficult to track down. There's very few copies around, but when you do, you'll find out how dull it is. Um, so it's well worth well worth the hunt. Um, so uh, and it's reproducing the reports from earlier ones with sort of comments. And it's the copy editing is terrible. The number of spelling mistakes horrifies me. Anyway. Interest has continued after this. Uh, for example, you can't really see it because this is the year after, but you see a line running across. So there's the fort, there's the Roman fort, and there's this light line running across. Um, and that light line, the previous year, was a water pipe being put in, um, which had a uh, archaeological um, evaluation, well, it had an archaeological cover, basically a watching brief, I think, um, from Wessex. Uh, however, 2006, the good news is that Sheffield University were back. Um, <coughs> Uh, not in this ca case, uh, Keith Brannigan and co, but it was us. So we've come back um, <coughs> the Hope Valley as an offshoot of this project that's running up and down the Hope Valley. We've been drawn in for a number of reasons um, into also not just working on this medieval hospital and all the other things. And we, we expanded our empire from the medieval hospital to look at um, other sites in Castleton and then the origins of the two villages. Uh, because Hope is in Doomsday Book. It's a really early Anglo-Saxon settlement. Castleton isn't. It's not supposed to be there until after the Normans um, build their castle there and so on. Uh, so they should have very different, they've got very different origins historically. Can we see that archaeologically? The answer is no, for various reasons. But anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk to you about tonight. Um, and this is Hope, I should say, in there, the Castleton in the background. Um, so we've expanded and we've come down towards uh, Bruff. Now, over the years, we've had a marvellous time in the, in the Hope Valley. Because working in Derbyshire is ace. As you can see, it's always a joy. Um, uh, actually, no, it is sunny sometimes. So um, the project's been running for quite a long time, about 12 years now. It was a five-year project when it started. It's still a five-year project now. And I suspect Bruff is another five-year project that's just, just got going for the next 20 years. So why have we gone there? Well, part of the reason, well, there's a number of reasons one of which is sort of local politics. So we've been pretty successful in Castleton. It took me a long time to find the hospital, but we did find it in the end. Um, and in the process of looking for that, we looked in other places in Castle, and we found an early medieval cemetery in Castleton, which shouldn't be there because Castleton isn't there until after the Norman period. But there's a lot, an awful lot of 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th century dead people um, who shouldn't be there because it's not mentioned in Doomsday. Uh, that got everybody very excited. But it also gets the Hope Historical Society quite grumpy because they're the Anglo-Saxon settlement in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, valley. Carston isn't. It's 12th century and onwards only. Um, so but it, that was rather nice. Uh, but New Hall in Carston, we've also been looking at this end medieval, early, early post medieval um, building there, which has fantastic plaster work in it, if you're excited by 
16th and 17th century plaster work, which I must admit I find difficult. Uh, but there's a nice man in Lincoln who comes and looks at it. He gets really excited. And after you're with him for an hour or so, you can get quite excited yourself about it. Um, apparently, Sheffield School of Plaster Work at that time is very important. And this is a key site for it, New Hall in Castleton. So we have to keep every flipping scrap of plaster stuff you would normally throw away. But no. So we found some quite nice things in Castleton. Well, what does that mean? That means Hope are getting a bit grumpy. Uh, and so basically, they said, when are you going to find something nice in Hope? And I went, oh, oh. Um, soon, honest, because we dig test bits in the Hope, and of course they've got nothing in them, um, because it's a dispersed upland village, and so you can't see it until it gets to about the 18th century. So we've got to find something impressive in Hope Parish. Um, now, alongside of that, there had been work taking place uh, at Sheffield on, for example, the Roman road from Templeborough uh, to Navio as a long, long-running undergraduate part-time master's dissertation, um, <clears throat> which seems to be going, well, it has been going on for years. Anyway, so, and of course, while that starts being interested at the Rotherham end, that has drawn out our interest towards, and as we were working nearby in Hope and Castleton, that means you're going to start to take an interest in Roman roads in the area. Um, and the beauty of it is you then realise that Navio is just inside Hope Parish. Uh, some of the bits we're looking at are outside in Bradwell, but it's just inside Hope Parish, so that makes it rather nice, and it's becoming a focus. Well, of course, that, that uh, Roman road um, undergraduate started much more interest in the Romans in the area, and that's turned into a PhD on Roman lead production, and the PhD in fact, two, you could argue, because there's one, uh, another one looking at the environmental one. But I'm going to blame David for all this, so don't worry. Um, uh, so, uh, and there he is. Now, you might wonder why he's not here. I'll tell you why. He's in Celtic Park watching Celtic play FC Copenhagen. I'm absolutely astounded what Rocker funding will pay for. But anyway, um, but he seems he's got free trips to Canada, free trip coming up to Greece. And he tells me he's in Celtic Park tonight. I, I mean, I didn't know se uh, season tickets were available, but presumably they are on Rocker. So anyway, um, so, <laughs> as, it's, as Bruff is potentially a key site um, in the story of lead production, um, however you're going to look at that, uh, whether it's through environmental stuff or through uh, landscape geophysical survey and so on, Bruff is a site that's of interest there. It's within Hope Parish. Hurrah. Um, and so, and when you look at all the previous work, it's fantastically inconclusive. Uh, people are digging little holes. They're saying relatively little. Um, they're going on about the pottery quite a lot because that's what people do. Um, uh, so um, I, mean, I will disagree with them on the pottery in some ways. We've got to come back to that as well in the end. Um, but actually, they're not saying very much. What, they, what you do when you read between the lines is they're failing to find very much to do with lead working. But we still think Navio must be important about lead, to do with lead somehow. So let's have a look at it. Let's see what we can do um, to see if we can add to that and to see if we can, because in most cases, people have been looking at the fort, they've been looking at areas very close to the fort. Is that actually going to be the sort of place you would be doing things with lead anyway? I mean, maybe there's storage in there, but if you've got actual industrial processes going on, um, uh, then you know, would, you be, uh, would you be in or very close to the fort? So, What's happened is that around there we've started with we started with sort of looking at roads, some landscape survey, geophysical survey, a bit of soil chemistry, which was not undertaken by David. It was undertaken by people like Nick and Louis was involved in it sometimes, and all sorts of people involved in it. Um, ah looking at holes in the ground that were being dug there, bits of test pitting. We've expanded out the area of geophysical survey uh, and we've ended eventually um, undertaking some larger excavations, but they're only just getting going. So fortunately, I don't have to tell you much about them tonight because um, uh, that would have required more pictures and I was struggling to get enough into this at the end anyway. Um, so, and this means we've moved from this idea of roads and communication routes and what the Hope Valley through to the setting of the fort and particularly an interest in industrial activity if we can identify that and in the process even though we've only been there a, a very short period of time we've possibly come up with another problem um, that, the, that needs to be considered um, in relation to the Vicus and industrial activity um, there but primarily the focus is um, on the surface is what is Navio's role in lead production or processing or uh, transport or distribution or what, whatever what's it going to be and can we uh, learn any more about that so um, <coughs> We've got, so we've got the fort in here, and there were small bits of geophysics done in various areas back in the um, early 1990s. They're astonishingly inconclusive. Um, uh, it'd be nice to repress the data, but um, all sorts of in, in, interpretations were, were made from them. I don't know how, they've drawn lines all over the plots, um, and I can't see any lines there in reality. So, um, <clears throat> 
we have the fort here. We have what is arguably the, the best known part of the Vicus area here, though it's not well understood, with a road running through it, um, possible road turning over the, going over this way, some talk of roads going in that direction. Um, we have evidence of something different. So Brannigan and Dern um, were digging over here where, before these trees were planted, finding this area that they thought was either agricultural or uh, agricultural prostitutes. Um, something that was very different <laughs> to the stuff that had been being found over there and no evidence of industry. Um, so, and then you've got the enclosure that, that, that some people have been interpreting. There it rises enclosure over there as some kind of slave camp for whatever reason there would be a slave camp there I have no idea but anyway um, an enclosure possibly over there but actually this is just crying out it's all pasture so it's crying out for a, a decent size um, geophysical survey which is uh, what we've been doing so um, here for example zooming in let's worry about these bit there's your fort this is magnetometer data so the fort's not showing up particularly well um, that's missing because that's where that water pipeline went through so there's no point um, uh, um, what you've got coming off here is an, a noisy area but actually the noisy area is mostly down here and the, the, some of those early excavations um, were in this area uh, but mostly this area hasn't been investigated but what you've got is the road coming through the road coming through going down to the river down there um, quite happily uh, with that. Uh, resistivity, the fort shows up better under resistivity, although it's mostly been excavated. It's not really showing you anything very sensible in the Vicus area. It doesn't, uh, neither of these plots, I should say, really strike me as showing a road running out there to cross the river down what is quite a steep slope. Um, so um, maybe, maybe that's correct or, or not. But anyway, you're starting to do geophysics on a sensible scale. The reason the resistivity stops here isn't in this area is because this new water pipe was leaking for some years. And so the whole of this area was waterlogged for ages. It's horrible. So there's no point in any resistivity in, in a waterlogged area because it won't show anything. Here is um, uh, <coughs> some dots from the uh, lead levels. Uh, and there, there's the fort. There's the fort. There is... Um, the area that's also magnetically noisy down here, which might have because there's one or two. This might be the, towards the area where the bathhouse is, sort of. Um, although, I'm not quite sure that's the case. Then you've got this odd line running over here, but we'll come back to that. That is an odd line, although it relates to one of the lines drawn by Derek Riley and Martin Dern and so on. So, and reminds you of that, we've got these excavations over here. Bit of Vicus work up here. There's actually relatively little going down there, although there are a couple of excavations down there which aren't marked on here. Um, so we've got our higher lead down here, higher lead up here. And we've got our road clearly running through in a magnetically noisy area uh, down there. Across the, across the field over here, looking at this enclosure, we've done geophysics in this area. So here we are. There is that area that the enclosure is sitting in. Um, oh, let's have a bit of a better look. So this is turning it round. So the river is running through and round like that. The river is running through and round like that. So this enclosure will be down here. Um, supposedly, and we do have possibly, but the problem is you have lots of fragments of things that look like enclosures, and you've got this long straight line which runs through there, which must be that long straight line running through there, that's the public footpath. Um, and if you go back to this plot, that's the public footpath. For some reason people have lead on their boots in this area. Um, so there is our public footpath running through, our enclosure down here, but actually there's all kinds of bits of possible enclosures in there. So it may be, that, and, and the same is true also over the, over the road, so it could be that there are a whole series of enclosures across here, not the one that Derek Riley interpreted. This is you know, heavy soil right next to the river, it's not surprising it doesn't produce parch marks or crop marks very often. Um, but it's certainly a field that looks interesting, it's got this strange a uh, line of slightly higher, higher lead levels which follows the public footpath, so you can only assume it, it must be because of the footpath somehow. Um, but it looks like it, certainly there's activity going on here. There's not one simple enclosure in there because there are fragments of things and it's a field that's worthy of further investigation, but it's not the direction we've gone into so far. So we started to do larger scale geophysics and there's more to add to that we don't have to worry about tonight. We've also done work in this area, it's an area we'll come back to um, because uh, that's an area that's been worked on uh, recently. So we did geophysics in there, but um, there's other things going on in that field. So there you have a sort of overview of, of the sort of scale. Starting to operate at this sort of scale for these things, you start to be able at least to, to judge um, the sort of robustness of the arguments, even if actually the geophysics isn't being incredibly conclusive. It's not really giving you very clear, straight, straight answers, but lots of indications. But we have our road running out here, through there, and we know the road is up here. And actually, you can see the road just there. You walk across it, go up and down. It's a quite clear um, ridge running across the field. So we see where the road is there. Um, whoops. <coughs> so, uh, and there's the resistivity. Uh, 
put out as well. So let's go back to here um, because <coughs> this is a scheduled area um, and obviously it's much easier to work outside the scheduled area but also um, there's a suspicion that what we need to be doing is be, is be down here somewhere so it's not actually around the fort but it, a lot of the activity may be down here and perhaps it could be over here because you have the hints in there that may be industrial activity and you know, as a landscape archaeologist one of the things that's really worth doing is leaning on farm gates just lean on them quite a long time I'm, I'm quite good at it um, it's one of my better developed skills these days it's leaning on a farm gate and just looking and if you go to this the farm gate here you think well we know the roads there runs running through here they did find a little bit of sort of industrial stuff this this kiln full of iron working waste but looks like a pottery kiln whatever that means um, uh, so you look and if you if you stand on the gate there or indeed if you stand on the gate up here and look into that field <laughs> There's a flat area all built on, but there's a big flat area here. Big flat area. It's beautifully flat, um, uh, and it runs. It, it would run over here, houses. So it's beautifully flat in there, and it slopes steadily up this this side here. So you just sit. You're just leaning on that, and you're going because we're landscape archaeologists. We know this thing. There's got to be something there. It's, good. it's that skilled interpretation. You're going. It's flat. It's next to where there is something. I bet there's something on there as well. And it was that difficult. Um, and so uh, we look at this field. So this is where those excavations were. We know the, the roads here. Um, and you look at this, and we go. It's beautifully flat there. Well, at this point, we hadn't talked to the people in the houses there who said, "Oh, when my grandfather dug the garden out, we found a, you know, a Roman figurine that's now in Buxton Museum. And all of, if you look at their back gardens, they've all got sheds with blister balls sitting on the top. They dug out of their gardens. Sort of suggests there is something going on. But before that we could just see it because we know because we're a skilled archaeologist um, and so geophysics so here's magnetometer plot of that field and what you've got is a noisy area it's magnetically noisy there are shapes in there that David can see I can't see them it's just magnetically noisy so I don't believe anything he says um, uh, particularly about football I imagine <laughs> at Celtic Park and it's relatively quiet up here oh there's a hint of a little I would say the hint of a uh, a shape in there which could be an enclosure nobody believed me however i was of course right so um <clears throat> so we've got a, a, a noisy area down here we've got a road running through here we've got some hint of things going on there nothing was looked at when uh, really in amongst these buildings any large scale um so you just think noisy magnetically noisy area it's on the flat bit it goes quiet as you're going up the slope this has got to be archaeological activity causing that, causing that um, noise. And you've risen up you know, several metres. You're up at um, sort of first floor um, windows height uh, at the back or even gutter height at the back. So it rises up quite quickly to this terrace that runs through here. Uh, this is what's mostly built. And it also carries on uh, on this side. I should say this is a medieval holloway. So that isn't a road that's there in the Roman period. Um, so we discount that road, we hope. And so... Um, you look at these features and you say there's clearly an enclosure down here, better put a trench in there. Let's try some of these noisy areas. Didn't quite work out like that because in particular they put the trench in the wrong place. But anyway, um, I still proved me right, so it's all right. Um, but it was placed in the wrong place um, on a slightly chaotic first morning with all sorts of students rushing to there because you've just moved the field course from uh, Werlow. Uh, but anyway, it's worked out all right. So, and here is the field we're looking at. So we're, we're above the Roman fort here, and this is the field we're talking about. So the Roman road runs through here and up there, and we don't know where it goes up there, and it comes up the slopes Roman fort here. Um, that's where the altars were found, that's where the Roman road runs through, and we had this hint of industrial activity, whatever it might be. And so this is our field, flat area at the bottom, slopes up, there's the trench in the wrong place. Um, so we're examining that. So what do you have in here? Well, this is some small trenches put in in May, two-week field course. And what you find very quickly is that at the bottom of that slope in the flat area, there are deep deposits which look to be almost completely, as far as you can tell from the small bits we've looked at so far, Roman. And in some cases, in a trench here, if you're going into there, you've got well over a metre that we can see, even though we haven't necessarily got to the bottom of these trenches. Um, and that, in that, there's lots of burnt material. There are burnt areas which look like they could be ovens or kilns of some kind. Um, there's just lots of stuff and there's pits cut. Pits are full of uh, burnt material and there's um, slaggy waste and all sorts of things. So it looks like a very active area in, industrially. Um, that was over here. So we put in a long trench, I should say this one over here, which was pretty much in the right place. Uh, so, and that trench was a bit different because it seemed clearer. It, didn't, it wasn't quite so busy. Uh, but it did have in it a series of discrete features, um, some of which made sense, others didn't. So you've got a trackway running across the end of it. 
Um, so we've got a trackway running across the end of it. And then you've got a series of features that sit, so burnt areas, little areas of hard standing, bits of walls, bits of drain, <coughs> that sort of thing. Um, so we look at that. So areas of burning in here. We've got these discrete little patches of stones. You've got features like this, which is a, a little bit of hard standing. It's flat stones. And where they've run out of flat stones, they've used large chunks of amphora instead of the stones to make uh, a small platform, sort of meter across. Uh, but a platform, presumably, that didn't take anything very heavy, because even though these are chunky bits of amphora, if you put something really heavy on them, they would have cracked, I would, would imagine. Um, so, but it's a bit of hard standing for whatever reason. Um, and particularly when you're getting burnt areas like this that didn't make an awful lot of sense. Uh, we thought that perhaps we should try and do this trench properly. I know that's unusual. Um, you know, it's, it's, a trial, it's a trial trench. We can hack, it, hack a hole in it, find out what's going on. So that was happening in the other trench, <coughs> David. Um, and over here, uh, we, things were going at a rather more uh, controlled pace. Um, and we thought, well, actually, let's not try and dig all these things out. We took one or two. We took this platform out and things. Um, because as you take one thing out, there's a different line of stones underneath it or a different area of burning or, the, or whatever. Um, so perhaps we should come back and have a look at that. That's in here um, uh, later. So um, I should say. So uh, worry about up here where there should be a ditch running through it. Well, actually, unfortunately, they've gone and put the trench over here, but it has a ditch in it. Look, there it is. So I was right. Um, <laughs> it's had the latest stone wall sitting on top of it, um, and that ditch has Roman pottery in it. So there's some kind of enclosure, or possibly, is it water management? We've only got, obviously, this tiny bit of it. Um, but there's some kind of feature, cut feature there with Roman material in, so it is Roman, but it's not an area with any kind of industrial evidence. There's not, it's not busy, unlike the bottom of the slope, uh, when you go into the flat area, it's not busy at all. Um, so that's, that's up there. Uh, so we went back a few weeks later, um, with a little bit more time. And so what we went back was back to this trench, but we, we made it wider. So there is the trench reopened in July rather than May, and we've made it wider. Um, so there's your trackway at the bottom. And you start to see areas of burning and differences in the area that make a bit more sense, perhaps. Uh, little lines of stones, that's a quern stone that's been used in whatever this little arc of stones is. Uh, and you've got sort of lines, you've got burnt areas, and as you go down um, slowly, uh, they do change. Um, and so, oh, hello, that's off. Annoyingly, it hasn't faded in with the second thing, it's all gone in. Anyway, there would be a nice picture of uh, the excavation of this feature there uh, by Philip from Wessex, Philip Meyer. Um, uh, so, and other people involved in the explanation of it on other days. So what we've got though is part of the trench um, over here, we've got the orange stuff. We appear to have a series of small ovens. We'll call them bread ovens. We've never known what we've been cooked in, pizza ovens, call them what you like. Anyway, small ovens that aren't full of iron working slag. So let's call them bread ovens because that's what we do. That line of stones is actually a feature underneath it. So actually the line of stones carries on here if you take this off. Um, so what you've got is a series of ovens all together. Is it one big multiple oven or is it a series of individual ovens at, at different times? We don't know that yet. Uh, and there are clearly other features underneath it. Um, as you go through the area, you find that while well, they've got this area of ovens in here, you've got areas of sort of hard standing over here. We've got a relatively clear area on this side, although there was a big lump of lead, which looks like it had, a molten lead had fallen into a crack, and it's this big sort of sausage, irregular sausage of lead, um, just sitting there. There's no particular evidence of lead working there, although there was a hearth at the end here which had quite high levels of lead just around it. Um, uh, so we've got burning, we've got uh, things that look like ovens, we've got some areas, you know, I can, I can imagine there's the trackway at the bottom, and here is your, your, your bakery, there is your car park next to it, and so on. So um, <clears throat> it looks like, and what, what it looks like we're doing, we, we, we're taking this trench down very slowly, is that as you go down, you're going to see a shifting pattern of, of uh, activity, and the suspicion is there could be a metre, two metres of um, if you look at the height you are of the houses, that's been dug away. And also the trench that was just back towards us had well over a metre of uh, deposit in it. And as you're moving towards the edge of the terrace, maybe they get deeper. So there's likely to be deep deposits there. What we see is already full of Roman material straight away. Um, and so the assumption is that what we've got is a trackway and next to it, we've got a series of in industrial or whatever you might call activities. Um, and if we can go through those slowly, let's see if we can tease out what those activities are physically from their remains, but also if 
we do um, PXRF, um, so we get some idea of soil chemistry as you're going down, and other uh, sampling, we might be able to see what the industrial processes are that are taking there. Although this doesn't have the big burnt areas um, that we did see in, in the other trench, but maybe it will underneath. Uh, who knows what's going on? So if you go across this way, across towards the, so the entrance to the field is that way, and the Roman road is over here, come into the field. If you go to the other side of the field over here, there's another trench here, big areas are burning. That does look like some kind of kiln, a drain over here. Uh, there's all sorts of um, features cutting through each other. Uh, and again, um, at well over a meter depth of deposits uh, in there. And that's right, this is the boundary. And just on the other side of that fence is that medieval Holloway. So there's no reason not to suspect these features will carry on across the Holloway into the gardens of the people across the road and along, the, along wherever this flat area goes. Because there's no, there's no lessening of activity in this trench compared to the trenches 50 meters or uh, more um, uh, <coughs> to the uh, northeast. Um, so it looks like the whole of the flat area of that field, right the way up to the boundary with the medieval Holloway cutting through it, is full of activity, which much of which involves burning. You've got uh, slag kicking about, you've got plenty of pottery, you've got lots of um, uh, brick and tile. So are they producing brick and tile there? Um, uh, all sorts of things uh, going on there. So, so that trench is right over here in this bit. So it looks like there's lots of things going on in here. Um, and as you go up the slope, you don't get those activities, but we have got some cut Roman features. So there is Roman features up the slope. Is that an enclosure or is it some kind of water management for water coming down the slope into this um, industrial area? And if, that, if you just take that away and put the, all the eroded Holloway back, then there's no reason not to suspect it will be carrying on over here into the flat areas over here. Now, unfortunately, quite a bit of that is people's gardens. We can go and ask them and see how many blister balls they have on top of their shed, uh, like the people here have. Um, but we may be more limited as to how where we can go. But we can certainly look in the fields behind it, although you start to slope up relatively quickly. Um, but quite clearly, while you have the road running through here, uh, you don't just have a couple of things alongside the road. We've got an area which appears to be extending well away from the road, where there's intense Roman activity over a long period of time. We don't know how long a period of time is uh, yet. We don't know um, whether it's intense all the way through or whatever. Uh, but hopefully with our relatively large trench in here, which we'll continue with, um, we'll be able to, to make uh, some kind of um, sense of that. Uh, um, and this is extending the area of the Vicus. So actually, the, you know, this is an area that shouldn't really be the civilian settlement. It shouldn't be in this area, but it clearly is. And so um, the, if you think that we, we have evidence of the industrial area here, well, it's stretching across the, brook, uh, the Bradwell Brook and going to this area, all the way actually to down there. Um, and yet it's very different over here. So you've got quite a different thing happening over there. Um, you've got this series of deposits with uh, and cut features that have no industrial activity in them. There's ditches, possibly enclosures. You've got some structures, buildings, areas of hard standing. Um, and that, those excavations, Brannigan and Dern, uh, are in here. And what you've also got is you've got a big quarry. You've got a big limestone quarry over here, but you've got a shale quarry in here and a small area of land there which has an existing quarry permission. Um, so uh, the quarry is going to quarry it. Uh, so, and as you can see from Google Earth image a little bit later, they've started stripping it. They've now stripped all of this. Um, uh, and they're actually going to take some of the trees out at some point, probably next year. But they've certainly, they've now stripped all of that. And so that's been subject to an archaeological excavation uh, by archaeological research services. Uh, this is us spying on them from the other side of the valley <laughs> with, with Tim's telephoto lens. Uh, so they couldn't keep us out. Um, <clears throat> they gave in in the end, let us in. But what they've got is a, a big open area by, by our standards, a big open area. And in particular, they've got ditches running across it. They've got a series of ditches, including a large, what looks like it may be an enclosing ditch, um, which encloses a large part of the area uh, towards the fort. So if we go back there, we're in here. Uh, and it looks like there might be a large ditch coming round, um, which may relate to some activity uh, to do with the fort. Now, we don't know the full results of this, um, because the report isn't done yet. This was being done this summer, and no doubt ARS will get the report out soon. And it looks very interesting. So lots of features in here. Um, I don't see any much evidence from what they've shown so far that there's any industrial activity. You have a series of ditches, so a large enclosing ditch or a series of other ditches, different phases, but it may be that this is being chopped up into a series of enclosures or small fields or something. You do have some buildings. Um, uh, so in particular, along this edge, there are buildings There are buildings in here and some dumps of pottery, but it's not full of 
given the area they've dug and the number of features they've dug, it's not ram-packed with, with material by Roman standards. Um, so if you've got some kind of enclosure down here, some activity there, we've got something similar going on in here, it seems, from Brandingen and Dern. Here's the Roman fort. There's the end of the Roman fort. Uh, I just wonder if... Um, we'll have to see what ARSA when they produce their report, but whether what you're seeing is something that isn't the Vicus, you're seeing something that is related to the, to the fort. Is that something agricultural? Or if this is cavalry, then is it something to do with the horses and so on? I don't know enough about management of Roman horses, but it's very different to the area down here, which is, appears to be where the civilian settlement is with industry in it. Um, so there's something quite different going on up here, um, and that's really interesting and it's really handy for us um, that... ARS have been able to excavate a big chunk of it, and we'll be able to compare that to Brannigan and Dern's little tiny trenches in here. Um, and I think it's just something really very different, um, whatever it is. It's not like the Vicus uh, on the, um, <coughs> the southeast side. It's something really different going on. So we look forward to the report of that. Um, uh, you'll have seen reports about it in current archaeology and all sorts of other things. ARS making a big song and dance about it. They want to be the, the, the name associated with, with Bruff. We won't worry about that. But anyway, the report will come out soon. It'll be very interesting to compare that, look at it with Brannigan's evidence, and then also compare it to the, the stuff that we're, um, we're going to get over there. Um, because we're going to continue with the, um, <coughs> the industrial stuff. So, so far, we have no clear evidence of lead working. We have one or two areas with lead in them. There's one or two lumps of lead, there's a half with some slightly high lead levels, but none of that suggests anything necessarily beyond somebody using some lead. There's a Roman fort here, civilian settlement. Romans use lead for all kinds of things, pipes and fittings and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so any settlement you would expect to have areas where lead is worked because they bring in lead, they use it for things, they make things with it, uh, they repair things with it and so on. And there's nothing really very much uh, beyond that that you can see. Um, <clears throat> so but we're going to continue uh, in there to see whether we can work on more of this industrial activity. One thing that has popped up that's intriguing is um, quite a large amount of Samian pottery um, that looks really poorly preserved. And if actually you look back in the, I'm seeing this still recently, the, the reports from the earlier excavations there, they're, they're saying that we have lots of Samian pottery that's really poorly preserved. It's coming from Les Marches de Verne, Les Aisées, and all those um, uh, uh, Samian pottery sites in the Avern that I've done geophysics on and failed to find any kilns in. Um, and they're quite happy about that, except when you show that pottery to Maureen and she goes, there's something wrong with this. Um, and I'm not going to argue with Maureen if she says something wrong with it. Um, and there's just a suspicion that this isn't actually Samian, it's copies, it's fake Samian coming in, perhaps. And so... It's a nice idea. To, so Maureen's been to, to look with David at the collections in museums from the other excavations. That's full of this really crummy, soft, poor quality Samian. Maybe it is just badly abraded and poorly preserved, but Maureen doesn't seem to think so, because there are occasional sheds of better quality Samian coming up. And it, uh, wondering whether if it's in the later part, and all of this is in the later deposits, uh, where Samian becomes difficult to obtain in Britain, there are examples of people trying to make Samian in other parts of Britain. Maybe that's what uh, is happening here. So that's certainly a whole new direction to look at and see you know, what Maureen wants is a pottery kiln with um, all the appropriate stuff in it to prove um, that that's where it is, the smoking gun thing. So we haven't got that, but there are interesting additional uh, questions coming up as we, as we go through it. But we still have to consider ultimately you know, what is going on here, what is Bruff doing? It is occupied throughout, it's very small. Um, people have suggested that perhaps it's providing the police force for the lead working area. If you've got some mounted troops and you've got 200, 250 people there. It's not an awful lot, but this isn't a densely packed um, area of people. So far, we can't see any evidence that this is where um, the lead is coming through, where some kind of big administrative centre is, where the lead is being worked. Maybe it is passing through here, but it, the suspicion is that actually this is working along with uh, places like uh, Lutadarum, wherever that might be, but also Deventio you know, is a lot of most of the material going out southwards along the Derwent Valley to meet the trend near Dar where Derby is now, uh, and that might be where the, the trade is happening, um, and there may be some kind of administrative centre down there. Deventio is very difficult to look at because it's mostly built on. Um, where is Lutadarum? And what's uh, Navio's role? Because it seems odd. This is a major routeway, but it seems odd to have this permanently occupied fort when there are plenty of other uh, major routeways in the Pennines, which the forts aren't occupied in. They're not, you know, there must be a particular reason why they keep an eye on this patch. And so the feeling is that it, there is a good chance that it's still related to lead. And perhaps it's 
you know, they're working together. You've got administrative centres down in the south, but they still need some kind of control and security up in the north, and Navi offers that um, uh, <coughs> from a, a, a nice strategic, good uh, communicator from a communication point of view uh, position. We don't know that yet. As I say, we've just started. We've only gone down a little bit in big trenches. David has another whatever, and Nick have a year and a half or two years or something to run. Um, if you can, particularly if you can drag David away from football matches or Canada or whatever he's going to be doing as part of his PhD. Um, there's a lot to go at. So understanding the Roman settlement here, which is where David's been moving, moving on to next, it looks like a very different Roman, I mean, I'm quite comfortable with the Roman settlement pattern around Doncaster. It's dispersed, lots of field systems, uh, that sort of thing. It doesn't look like that in the Peak District. So understanding the fields, uh, the settlement pattern, seeing if you can find where lead is being produced, and then trying to follow it out. I suspect we won't get, we certainly won't get all the answers from, from Navio, because what you'd need to do is to is to compare it with sites to the south um, around either, wherever Utadaram is, is that Worksworth? It certainly wasn't Carsington. Um, and also possibly further south around Derby and Little Chester and particularly the, the town that followed it, uh, Deventio. But this is Buxton Museum's reconstruction of the Roman fort and the Vicus. There's nothing going on over here, which is... <laughs> A bit unfortunate for ARS, um, but uh, fortunately they do. This is the road coming through, and they do have some buildings on our side. But of course, what we can now say is they need to extend their reconstruction drawing in this direction. But it's still pretty good, and we will need to add something in there in due course once we find out what's going on. I think that's it. No idea what the time is. Thank you for listening to Archaeology and Ale. For more information on our guest speaker, please see the show notes that accompany this episode or check our page on the Archaeology Podcast Network. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, WordPress, or Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Join us next month when our guest speaker will be Dr. Kevin Kuykendall discussing the recent fieldwork happening at Creswell Crags. See you next time. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.